This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. Are you drinking up? First, you gotta do the trouble shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to a brand new episode of WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. Say hi to your mom for me. Joining me per usual is Mr. Positivity, Wolfie T. Just a sick world we're living in, sick people. What's up? Uh, a lot of things, actually. I mean, the, the new Batman is upon us. It's the Batman. That's how you know it's the one. <laughs> that it is. <laughs> And to mark this uh, special occasion, we have a special guest with us, local guest, straight from Cedar Cliff Collectibles, we have with us Zolly Becker. Hand me down the shark repellent bat spray. Hey, it's me, Zolly Becker. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've mentioned you a, a few times on the show before, so it's uh, nice to actually finally get you on and let our listeners know uh, who the hell we're talking about. Well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you. You're welcome. And you're probably the, the foremost authority that I know of on all things Batman. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate moniker, but I am, I am a fully functional Batmanologist. <laughs> uh, and fresh off your uh, most recent uh, Twitter suspension as well. It, it wasn't so much as a suspension as I... I changed my username to uh, evade Richard Newby, <laughs> his followers. Who does he write for again? Is he freelance? Fangoria, Hollywood. He, he's, a, he's a professional blue check. He's a very public figure. Um, right. And uh, I don't know. He, yeah, he's staff writer for Fangoria, Hollywood reporter. Big fan of James Gunn. <laughs> Big fan of kids. <laughs> man uh i was following that uh in real time and that was just fucking hilarious it was uh, good it was I, good work that day and once they finally got you off of twitter they were all just you know we did it we did it patrick we saved the city and they were so excited for now yeah <laughs> no what i what i did is I, I tactically i tactically changed my username to prevent that account from being deleted because that specific burner account has a really nice audience that I need for my trolling. Well, no, I don't need, I don't need anyone or anything or my trolling. I could, I could have two sticks in, in, in the Sahara desert and I could suitably find a way to upset Warner media. And Walter Hamada. Yeah. Specifically chairman Walter Hamada and Toby Emmerich. Yeah, Eric was sending me screenshots of that. And he was just dying. <laughs> and uh, I noticed, because I had DM'd you at some point uh, about something, and uh, I noticed that your name was still in my list of DM contacts. So uh, I knew yeah, you I, didn't get suspended. So I Well, I'm sort of unsuspendable on social media for various reasons that we don't need to discuss. I can always come back like Freddie. <laughs> so... You won't lose track of me. You're too powerful. Too powerful. Too big to fail. 
too big to fail, institutional legitimacy, all about that. Well, we need you right now because Restore the Snyderverse is gaining quite the momentum, especially with this discovery merger upon us, which I believe is next week. Yeah, next week. Assuming it's, it actually happens. The FCC and FTC may say no. They may say, you know, we watched all eight episodes of Peacemaker and the answer is no. <laughs> I mean, they, they do sometimes not approve mergers. That's and true. Big collaborations usually win, but you know, they have to lose sometimes for it to be interesting. Well, wasn't the uh, the Sprint T-Mobile one uh, denied at first, and then it, a couple years later, they allowed it? Yeah. Yeah, they denied it a couple times, I think. And then I think some of the other ones merged together, and then they're like, well, I guess Sprint and T-Mobile can. That was in phone companies for much smaller. It confused me when I heard that Discovery was buying it. I was like, I didn't know Discovery was that big of a company. Yeah, it is now, I guess. I had no idea. I thought it was Discover Card for a second, but yeah, it's Discovery Networks. Do you think Hamada keeps his job after the merger? You know, I, I don't know. I do not know what the, the people behind the Discovery Channel and TLC will say about people who gave James Gunn carte blanche to do whatever he wanted with the DC brand for three and a half years. That and blackballing Ray yeah. Fisher. Yeah, I mean, Ray Fisher is unquestionably the greatest living American anti-racist figure. And to do anything but support him is unconscionable. I know, and I can't believe people were trying to cancel you for uh, no, I know. trying well, to restore uh, the Snyderverse. Well, it, it, <laughs> I, it's really, that, that whole thing is really Armand White's thing. Um, but there is a, 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 an anti-racist religious charity associated with the Snyder movement, which is Restore the Snyderverse. And it is a, uh, a religious anti-racist charity that is against suicide and Walter Hamada. So for Autumn, basically? Yes, yes. I'm basically like a nonprofit administrator. I'm not a troll. I'm a nonprofit administrator. There you go. Of a religious charity. Official title. Yes. Nonprofit administrator. Yes. <laughs> Add that to your resume with the Ultra at Cedar Cliff. Yeah, it's, it's, good. it's a good little moniker. I'm not sure if you listened to the episode in which I had uh, the Men I Movie Cowboys on to talk Christmas and Die Hard 2, the one you were originally going to come on. Yeah, I flaked out on that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's terrible. It's terrible. I, uh, I told a story on that episode about meeting you for the first time coming to your shop yeah in real life yeah i gotta i gotta ask i gotta ask you to, to confirm or deny oh it really no. happened it really happened yeah no no i meant um while i was in the store i remember i was looking at the blu-rays and then i went over the dvds and i saw yes i have all those dvds underneath the tables of the comics and i looked over at uh, steve is the your manager's name right the commanding officer commanding officer okay uh, you were talking to Steve and I was like, okay, do you have any more? I thought you might have more Blu-rays under the comics. And so I asked, and he's like, no, they're all over on the shelf in the back. And so I just continued to look for like a, f- a few more minutes, but I was crouched down. So I thought maybe he thought I left or just couldn't see me. He thought you left. And he's like, I wasn't hundred percent sure he said <laughs> this, 
but I'm pretty sure what he said was he asked you like, uh, who is, who is that guy? Like what are these idiots that thinks he knows everything about movies? And then I think you said, uh, he's still in the store. You know that I, I like to be helpful and I can't. (laughs) (laughs) So that is what he said. My ears were not playing tricks on me is what you're saying. Oh, no, that that is, uh, you know, he's as as tough but fair. And and obviously he was, he made an impact. (laughs) Because, you know, he was able to even, you know, usually people say what they do and this goes over their head. So, you know, Mm -hmm. your position as a commenter on cinema, obviously, audio. Yeah, don't worry. I, I don't consider myself an expert. I did not take offense whatsoever to what steve said i just thought it was funny <laughs> it was fun it's still fun because <laughs> i've also watched some of your comic book apocalypse videos on your youtube channel subscribe is that uh, zolman yes i think uh, so yeah, i've watched some of those but it's funny because uh, uh steve will be sitting there talking about you know how he's getting fucked over by diamond or one of these marvels or one of these toy companies and some customer will be walking by and he'll ask him, hey, buddy, can I help you out with something? And he'll say, no, I'm just looking. And he'll turn around and see if we'll just give him the finger and like just like laughing well, off. Some people do <laughs> use the store as like a petting zoo slash children's uh, museum. And, yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. But uh, every no sale is, uh, is a defeat. We're about to start talking about Batman. But before we do, I wanted to ask about the new toys for the Batman, how are they selling? Well, they're not. They're not selling. They're not selling. Nobody wants Pattinson? Shocking. We're, we're, we're getting them in. You know, people are scalping them and ringing them, but uh, <laughs> they are not selling. Um, in the uh, On the scalpers front, you can find lots of Catwomans for sale, but no Penguins. Penguins is the hot item. Really? I don't know why. Yeah, must have been short packed, but people just do not seem to want the six inch McFarlane Batman. Well, there's, there's, this is going to sound kind of mean. They're, they're running variants of the Batman, and some of them are considered defective because for reasons. So that might be a reason. I don't know. Hmm. I think maybe people are Batman out toy wise. At your store specifically, do any like parents come in to buy them for their kids or any kids come in or is it like mostly collectors it's both but uh collectors and parents come in parents come in and they want like a normal spider-man not a like like they want they want something that that for the most part is is harder to get than they believe it to be because they they're stuck you know 20 years in the past usually because i thought maybe everyone was just going to target well, I mean, we, we compete with Target with the exact same toys. And mm-hmm. you know, people scalp from Target. I mean, our Batman section and Target's Batman section are identical at the moment. I mean, we have two Riddlers and two Batmans. They have, I don't know, I don't know what they had this morning. But if, if you want Batmans and Riddlers, we got some. There you go. All right. Well, this is a recently seen episode. Although to... Uh count for our special guest and the endless debate that we'll have we're only going to discuss a couple of movies we'll discuss two and then we also completed the movie challenge for raising cane which we were challenged by Stuart balk of the midnight movie cowboys podcast we'll be talking about that more in depth later 
But for now, let's just talk about the Batman. Just came out 2022. Directed by Matt Reeves, of course. Written by Matt Reeves and Peter Craig. Starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Jeffrey Wright, Colin Farrell, Paul Dano, John Turturro, Andy Serkis, Peter Sarsgaard, Barry Keoghan, Jamie Lawson. Anyone else of note? I think it's about it. I liked Alex Ferns as the commissioner. Synopsis. When the Riddler, a sadistic serial killer, begins murdering key political figures in Gotham, Batman is forced to investigate the city's hidden corruption and question his family's involvement. All right, let's let our guests go first. Zolly, what did you think of the Batman? I was not, I was not a fan. I'll first I'll say what I did like. I'll do the blue check thing. When I say how I loved it so much. <laughs> I like that Zoe Kravitz has played Catwoman for six years now. That makes her the longest serving Catwoman in Batman history. Where was she Catwoman before? In the Lego movie, yes, which is really, okay. really right. highly received. And she's playing the same character and the same iteration of that character. My opinion of the Batman movie is that it was a reductive, deconstructionist, corporate salt on the thing Bob Crane, Bob, not Bob Crane, Bob Kane and Bill Finger created and Frank Miller, Tim Burton, and Zack Snyder perfected. Uh, this is iconic demolition. First of all, they want you to think that Batman's parents were less than perfect. Dr. Thomas Wayne and Carmine Falcone would, would, wouldn't just sit at the same park bench together, but they'd also conspire together, which is it's just it's, it's sanity. A little similar to Thomas Wayne and Joker. Well, yeah, it, it takes a lot of yes. the, uh, the things from Paul, not from Todd Phillips's movie, and runs with them as as Batman canon, um, probably you know to to twist the knife. But this is a the the main the main production problem that this movie encounters is it takes place in two locations. It takes place in like an unfinished building in front of a giant LED volume where Batman meets Commissioner Gordon and Catwoman and other people and has action set pieces. It's, it's a very versatile location. And uh, there's the Batcave and then there's like this generic city hall situation. It's another one of these, these modular movies with the production value of a television pilot. A lot of people have, comp- have compared it to a television pilot. And it's, it's actually less ambitious on a scale wise than most CW DC programs. It's less ambitious. As far as there have been eight or so Batman Warner Brothers movies that Oslan and Malenka have been attached to, this is unquestionably the worst one. Full stop. That is my opinion. I would rank it uh, at last. I would rank it behind behind, uh, Batman and Robin? Way behind Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin, at least, didn't try to, you know, destroy the iconography of the brand. I mean, you could say it was very accurate to Dick Spring and all that, if you wanted to. So, what would you, uh, what would you rate it on our? I give it like a D. I give it a D. That'd be last resort. 
Yeah, last resort. That's a last resort. Or to be never. It, it no, it's it, it it's in the queue. It, it exists. It can't uh, cannot look away. As one of hers, I would say. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it is indeed. It is. It is. It is the, the last and the least of all the Batman movies. But it's the longest, maybe. Well, not the well, longest. Second longest, but the most. Batman. Well, Wolfie, you're you're a fan of Batman and Robin as well, so you got. <laughs> You got some company over there. I like Batman and Robin. It's a good movie. I don't know how you can watch Batman and Robin and not like it. Yeah, I mean it's it's great. <laughs> do you hate the do you hate the, the Adam West Batman too? I mean what I mean no, I don't hate fun it. One in your Batman. All right. So what did you think of the new Batman, Brett? The new one? Um I agree with Zolly. I didn't like the stuff they did with Bruce Wayne's parents. Like it seemed like very, very unnecessary to throw that in there. I liked the aesthetic of, of how everything looked, but it was always right too. In in that, it seemed like a very small, condensed part of the city that they they focused on. Whereas in past Batman movies, you get a much bigger scale of the city. Mm-hmm. Dark Knight, Batman goes to China. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh i was i was actually pretty into it about until about the middle and then uh they kind of lose the story because like it it really focuses in the first half on the detective work of him solving the riddlers uh riddles and picking up clues and going on to the next clue and the riddlers always one step ahead of them and then towards the middle they start going into like Catwoman drops her white privilege line, yeah, and uh, they start talking about how all the uh, all the cops are corrupt and all this and that, and uh, these uh, the the mayoral candidate, uh, which they also put in the trailer, confronts Bruce Wayne at the funeral of the previous mayor to tell him he's not donating enough money to the city. Uh, that that kind of sucked. Um, as far as Robert Pattinson as Batman, I thought he was good as Batman, as Bruce Wayne, not so much. Yeah, Bruce Wayne's not an element in this movie. It's uh, It seemed very strange that they, they decided that Bruce Wayne would just be a uh, like a depressed um, recluse who uh, was antisocial and uh, never went out and was just kind of... Who does heroin and listens to Nirvana constantly. Yes. So it was a, a very, very much a departure of past depictions of Bruce Wayne, um, just as himself, and then also his parents, like we mentioned earlier. It did kind of the finale was okay. It, it did kind of pick up again towards the end. Um, so overall, like I was, like I said, I was into it until about the middle, and then there's a big chunk in the middle that I didn't really care for, and then it kind of picked up towards the end. So. I, I would give it a uh, WTM eventually. Eventually. Not the best Batman movie, but I, I think it's worth seeing if you're a Batman fan. I agree with a lot of uh, what you guys are saying. Uh, yeah, Bruce Wayne, I thought it was the least appealing Bruce Wayne I've seen. You don't get to see any of that playboy life that he has to somewhat lead. You have to have a facade that you're not Batman. <laughs> he, just, right. he just has none of that. The only time he goes out 
was uh he's got the eye black on like he wears the the black makeup over his eyes so he could put his mask on and and uh, not have uh the white skin showing through the eye holes so it's like that's weird <laughs> so i thought all the other batmans were, were great at playing you know the playboy bruce wayne so yeah like in this movie if anyone is wondering who batman was it wouldn't be hard to fathom people would point their fingers at the rich guy who lives in darkness up in the tower and wears eyeshadow and <laughs> listens to nirvana and not much <laughs> but um you know a lot of complaints over the years about various batman movies are you know they say well batman's the world's greatest detective and he doesn't do a lot of detecting in these movies well he finally does in this one this is the most uh crime solving i think batman has ever had to do although i wouldn't say he's that good at it in this movie <laughs> I thought he's very good at solving the riddles, the, the riddles that the Riddler would leave, but it didn't really help him solve the crime. When we pick up with Batman, he's been at this job for two years, but yet he's still working out the kinks. And it's basically him working out the kinks for three hours because he's not very successful at anything he does this whole movie. So I think that in, in a way it sets it up for the second one. It's kind of like an origin story without being an origin story. Uh, I know Brett was happy that they didn't see uh, Bruce's parents get shot again. I would have liked to have seen it for an origin story. Yeah, we need to get me that refreshment. <laughs> I do. I look forward to it, actually. Especially with Zack Snyder doing it with the slow motion and the pearls. Oh, it looked great. They, they did everything but show them getting shot. <laughs> they're like they did a whole like 10 or 15 minute segment of showing news clips of his dad running for mayor and then you know the things he did while he's running and then they're like uh i'd show you the next clip but it's them getting murdered but you know we're not going to show that so uh we'll go on to the next scene here mm-hmm. see i did like the fact that it was like a detective story not that it was the best but it was kind of cool to get Supposedly back to Batman's roots in some of the comics, at least. I'm not an expert on the comics whatsoever. I know Zali is, but like I said, there was certain things I liked about it. I do like dark and gritty. Maybe it was a little too dark and gritty. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't want to complain about it being dark and gritty because I don't want it to be, you know, turn into some Marvel shit. But um, I could have used a little more humor. Some of that could have probably come from him actually being Bruce Wayne, yeah. but he really isn't. Some of the Riddler stuff was funny, but it was it was a really dark comedy. Yeah. Uh, I liked Paul Dano a lot as the Riddler. Uh, I thought it was a, a unique look at the Riddler, a fresh take on it. I like Colin Farrell as the Penguin, although for the purposes of this plot and movie, he serves no purpose, basically. Doesn't need to be in there. They could be setting him up for uh, the second one, but that doesn't really get me excited for it. Like, well, he's kind of inept in this one. The rumor so. is the rumor is he's getting his own TV series. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is that. Which I don't know. Maybe that would be interesting in terms of a series with like the goings on and that comings and goings of that club. But yeah, I don't know. I think that was a fake story done to gen up positivity for it. Yeah, probably. Because well, it was, 
the current administration at Warner will announce projects that do not exist to gauge reaction and awareness. Yeah, I believe that. Well, I, I watched the uh, the entire Batman the Animated Series last year, and like towards the second half of that series, the Penguin's character is basically how they had him portrayed in in this new movie. Yeah. Where he runs the club where all the all the real bad guys or all the other bad guys hang out. As a non informant. Yeah, he's kind of like the legitimate businessman who's kind of the buffer between the police or Batman and the supervillains. Back to Batman himself, what I thought this movie was lacking most was I thought there was just a lack of I don't even know what to call it, cool moments, moments of awe. It was about an hour into the movie. I'm like, when am I going to say, wow, that's Batman's doing some really cool stuff. I'm really, you know, takes me back to being a kid again, you know, and he's uh, escapes from the police precinct and he jumps off the roof and he has a wingsuit and he flies. And the music is finally not like Nirvana or some depressing shit. It's like majestic. And um, I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then he eats it. And it like, like he's just working out the kinks the whole time. And like some of the fight scenes were okay. There was a moment in the trailer you can see where he jumps that car, you know, when he's in the chase with the penguin. That was kind of a cool moment. But like even thinking back to the Nolan films or in the Snyder ones too with, with Ben Affleck, there's a lot of moments where it's like, oh man, Batman's doing some really cool shit. You know, I'm, I'm a kid again. Yeah. I hated him Dolly. driving through that that cement pipe that was rolling down the, the freeway like it was made of uh, styrofoam. Did that bug anybody else? The cement pipe? I, well, the things really bother me in the movie are the wingsuit scene because the wingsuit looks like a real wingsuit as opposed to like a Batman wingsuit. Yeah. And yeah. that's like unacceptable, it's just visually unacceptable. It's he looks visually- like he looked like a flying squirrel. He's supposed yeah, to look like a bat. Yeah. Whatever whatever creative intent was behind all that, that should have been uh the studio should have snuffed that out and, and had it redone. So it looked Wait. like a pat- a proper Batman glide as opposed to uh some sort of weird, yeah. uh, I did like him flying, but I did I was thinking at the time, like that does look like a, like a squirrel suit. I wish his, his wings actually came out of like the web and he should have been the whole length. Yeah. They lean uh, too, his, uh, too wing. far into the realistic. Uh... We like to imagine somehow that Batman's cape can do that glider thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though that's not possible physically. Lucius gave him He's a billionaire. He- can make stuff that doesn't exist. I mean, they don't have bulletproof neoprene costumes that exist. That's mm. one thing that always <laughs> bugs me is when Batman is bulletproof. Like, completely bulletproof. Like, dude, he's just walking through like how many uh, fucking machine guns that, in that one scene, and uh, just like they don't even phase him. Like, he's not even knocked back or anything. Yeah, it seemed inconsistent in that, like the first time he gets shot it throws him back like he's on the ground and it's like recover. And at the end, it's like automatic fire just bouncing off of him. And there's even like a shotgun blast and he's still like charging at the henchman. He's getting better. He's getting better at being Batman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, the whole, the whole bulletproof costume is a Bob Linwood conceit that we're all living with for the last 35 years. You know, Batman has a monocolored rubber suit and it's mm-hmm. indestructible full stop. And 
everyone everyone live action movie wise has obeyed that concept you know without flaw i mean even Zack snyder's reinvention of the wheel was still ultimately a ringwood style iron studios rubber costume that is completely head to toe bulletproof yeah well i thought even in uh even in the first tim burton one i mean we did an episode on that michael keaton gets shot like five or six times but like he he gets winged or whatever, and he no sells it, but he still gets damaged a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. He he's not walking through like a thousand shots in you know thirty seconds and just mowing people down like he's Darth Vader. Yeah, I think it's like they, one. they weren't sure like how how aware people were of like you know whatever like how Batman's indestructible body armor thing, like how how belie- how much belief for the audience is still in that. And as time goes on, you know, we imagine that, you know, Batman has indestructible Wayne Tech elements, you know, designed by Lucius Fox, nano weave, fiber optic shit, and all that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that scene in the club where he's where he's getting shot in the dark, and it's just the bullets ricocheting, lighting up the the screen. They put that in the trailer, and I'm sure that's going to be one of the the most beloved scenes in the movie because it looks cool. You know? It looks cool. Looking cool is, is half of it. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense to me. I can't wrap my head around it. Well, it made sense is <laughs> they wanted a scene where Batman goes in a nightclub because in the dark night, Batman goes in a nightclub. Yeah. They wanted a scene where Batman uh, knocks henchmen off scaffolding with a gappling gun because the same thing happened in the dark night. They you know reuse a lot of Nolan set pieces in this movie. Mm-hmm. As if to say that before Nolan, there was nothing. And with Nolan's films, you know, it seems like Nolan wanted to take Batman and put him in the real world, right? With this new one, it seems like they have a more realistic Batman and they put him in the comic book world. I mean, the, the gunshot, the impervious to bullets aside, like I said, Batman isn't very good at anything he does in this movie. Yeah, He's knocking out the kinks the whole movie. Right. So I don't know if that's something they're going to continue with or once the second movie comes along, it's like you said, like you said Zali, he's getting better at being Batman. And then the second movie, there's going to be a lot more fun action and fantastical set pieces. And- See, I don't know if they're going to make another Matt Reeves, Robert Pattinson, Batman movie. Well, they did not seem to get along. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've read the reports that they don't get along. I know the first version of Matt Reeves' film was unsuitable. There's some more Zoe Kravitz, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo stuff that was excised from the movie as it was too Catwoman heavy. Mm-hmm. So we don't really know what we don't know. But um, I, I, as someone who, who, who lusts for more Batman product, I don't think any future Batman installments with recurring people is ever uh, something to be uh, to take for granted. I've I've learned my lesson. I've learned my <laughs> lesson young. Um, you know, the, the 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 more the more people discuss someone's career as Batman, the quicker they are to discard it. So, mm. I mean, this isn't this isn't for or against. This is just facts here. It's it's a miracle to make two Batman movies, much less three. And. Mm-hmm. I know universe building and Easter eggs is a very important thing to the kids on the internet, but 
universe building is better when it's done retroactively around a bunch of movies as opposed to like we're planting the seeds of more installments right because you have to have those installments for it to matter otherwise you if nothing i guess to kind of wrap it up i'll say overall i did like it i'll give it a wtm eventually eventually um i just thought it's being a little overpraised could have used a little more action better action more fun moments i guess doesn't have to be funny although a little more humor wouldn't hurt but i, I did really like paul dano as the riddler um, colin farrell was fine i did like the, de- the detective aspect of it but yeah too long the greatest moment in my opinion in that movie and it's not even batman related is when uh zoe kravitz is dressed up like natalie portman in closer <laughs> I don't think I've seen Closer. It's well, you should that it, it goes very well with, with Batman. That, mm. that was they were thinking of about Natalie Portman and Closer almost as much as they were thinking of uh, Keith Ledger's toxicology report from the end of 2007. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think uh, we can move on unless anyone else has any final thoughts on the Batman. Anything else you got to get off your chest before it's too late? Not for me. That's it. That's my final good thing to say about it. <laughs> I really had to reach. All right. Well, next we're going to talk about another film from 2022, at least on Netflix, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Directed by David Blue Garcia. Story by Freddy Alvarez. Chris Thomas Devlin did the screenplay. Also, some other story credits uh, for Roto Sayagas, starring Sarah Yarkin, Elsie Fisher, Mark Burnham as Leatherface, Jacob Lattimore, Mo Dunford, Alwyn Fure. Is that how you pronounce her name? She plays Sally Hardesty. Because Marilyn Burns is no longer with us, so that's French. New... I, don't, I don't speak French. Okay. Jessica Alain. Nell Hudson and John Laroquette is back as the narrator. I wonder if he got paid a, a joint again to do it this one as well. Two joints. Two joints this time. Uh, synopsis After nearly 50 years of hiding, Leatherface returns to terrorize a group of idealistic young friends who accidentally disrupt his carefully shielded world in a remote Texas town. So uh, let's have Brett go first on this one because I know you were a fan. I loved it. Start to finish. It was fucking great. Fantastic. I thought it was uh, a a great commentary on modern culture. And it also had great uh, homages to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, Obviously, this one ignores all the other sequels and reboots, which is fine. I I don't mind that. Um, but yeah, I, I really thought it was uh, a lot of a lot of deep stuff in there that people maybe don't want to read into. And then uh, obviously the horror and the violence is right up there. Some of the, the most fun violence I've seen in a while. But yeah, I thought it was I thought it was great. You know, they have the um, the city folks and then the ta- the townspeople. You get that dichotomy. And then one of the city girls is a uh, a school shooting survivor, so they have that 
aspect that they kind of like compare and contrast with being the victim of one of these horror movie slashers. And uh, I, I thought it was great. I thought it was fantastic. Like I said, had a ton of fun. It's only an hour and 21 minutes. So it's a quick watch, but like there's no fat on it. It's fucking great. Uh, WTM soonish. Soonish. Okay. Hope it's not two to one. Uh, Zolly wants you to go next. No, yeah, I, I'd say uh, WTM, watch it now. It's on Netflix. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> 9. Um, it's a new rating. Well, I mean, it's, it's, you can watch it right now. I mean, times are wasted. Um, <laughs> I, I like it better than the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie preceding it. Um, I think that this is, that is the a 3D moment. one. No, that would be the Stephen. The 3D one was 2013. It was a 2017 one also. It was also, uh, I think it was, uh, Stephen Dorff is like this year. It's like the origin. It's, it's, it's a terrible movie. Disregard it. It's not important. But this, the current Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the David Blue Garcia and Fede Alvarez one is the best, the second best horror movie on Netflix right now. Um, it is, it's, it's shot in Bulgaria. You can kind of tell if you've ever been to the American West. It's obviously the former Soviet bloc and not America. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> it's hard is in the right place. It has a non-standard dinner scene. It places its dinner scene at the beginning of the movie as opposed to the end, um, which, is a, which is a franchise uh, barrier-breaking change that makes this movie different from all other Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies is usually the dinner scenes at the end, you're near to it. Um, it's also a wonderful role for Alice Krieg who's having a great year um, in streaming content. I'd give it an 8 out of 10. Oh yeah, so you'd say uh, soonish or ASAP eventually? ASAP. ASAP. That means now. ASAP. ASAP. Wow, that's five star movie it's the best 73 minutes you can have <laughs> what say you eric uh so 73 minutes 81 minutes but credits are like 20 minutes like barely an hour there's that after credit sequence you guys both saw that right you have to stay for that yeah. and thankfully netflix <laughs> won't throttle it so you get the full 12 minutes of credits and then the, the tag and hopefully you know i know I don't mean to, you know, jinx it with the Batman thing. I am absolutely counting on a second Texas Chainsaw Massacre from Netflix with the majority of the same creative people, which, uh, you know, has a chance, as a snowball's chance in hell, as, you know, Leatherface has never been played by the same person twice ever. But um, this is the first time that uh, there's been some universal positive acclaim sent their way so they may be inclined to repeat what's gone well for them i wouldn't call it universal acclaim it's a 4.8 on imdb which is pretty low <laughs> um but look at those streaming numbers <laughs> <laughs> that's the numbers that matter so uh, what was it uh legendary has the rights to texas chainsaw don't they Zolly? yes yes and they sold the rights to this, to Netflix, at least yes, for this they, film. They had this movie sitting um, shit-canned for two years. 
Mm -hmm. And I think there was good reason for that. It's too, too artistically powerful. Well, there was a pandemic. Oh, yes. That, the pandemic. <laughs> That's why. Yes, but um, I mean, there was a, they waited a while to release it on Netflix. And then Netflix didn't even give shit either. There was no fanfare from Netflix either. The fanfare was all homebrew. Yeah. <laughs> It's a real grassroots movement for this film. So I read a little bit about the production hell this was in. The original director, I forget his name, but he quit two weeks before production started. Creative differences. Now, from what I gather, he wanted this to be kind of a right-wing film. And there's elements to that because some of it stayed in the film. There's certainly, because there's some people that like it because there's right-wing stuff and some people that hate it. And you'll see him talk about it online. You know, it's right wing because of this or not. You know, uh, I would say it's more left wing than right wing, but everything is just disjointed. You could tell that there was too many cooks in the kitchen. It was touched by numerous people too many times that I don't think it committed to anything. And I would have liked to have seen more of a like a coherent. Um, I guess, right wing message. Not that I'm right wing, but it would be definitely different than anything else that's in theaters now or in the near future or has been for the past like 10 years. You, you thought this had a, a left leaning message to it? Yes. With the uh, easily inf the influencers who are clearly just like totally out of you know, they're, they're totally out of the loop with how the real world works. Yes. And, and they're totally in their bubble. And, uh, you know, they, they the, the scene with the, the bus where they're all streaming Leatherface to cancel him. Mm -hmm. and, and they're driving yep. their Tesla down there. You, you thought that was a pro, oh, yes. pro that crowd. I'll tell uh, you why. Type of narrative. I, I can't remember if I posted this on Twitter. Maybe I was just messaging you back and forth. But, well, first of all, like the, the bus scene. The bus scene's great, by the way. It's so wonderful. <laughs> I treasure it. It's not scary at all. Uh, none of this but movie is really scary. It's super fun, though. But the, uh, that's the thing. It's fun. That's why I knew you'd like it. Because well, it could be fun for some people. I told you, Zolly, he hates fun. But I like my Texas Chainsaw with a little. If I want fun, I'm going to go, go back to Grand Guignol, Toby Hooper, Texas Chainsaw, too. That's, that's my fun. This is why Eric hates Norbit too. <laughs> well, I mean, the I also would like to see the original version of the movie, actually. And if having a huge fan movement to restore the other Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2020 gate happens, sign <laughs> me up. I mean, there are two versions of that four, so you know it doesn't it doesn't matter. But um, the, the old, the old, the, the adage I think about the politics of this movie is it's, it's a movie that's made by non-Americans outside of America and has a very dim view of American culture, especially of the present American culture. And I don't know if that would maybe a quote about Polanski's work, not to say that Polanski is, you know, some great paragon of, of virtue and morality, but um, there, there is a... A, a snide comical disdain for American Zoomer mm -hmm. entrepreneurship activism and creativity that it all it all ends in nothing right so I was saying like 
to your point, Brett, uh, with all the commentary on the, I guess, left's uh, comings and goings in this town that they're going to buy and sell and gentrify and all that. The joy I got from watching them die did not make up for the time I had to spend with them. (laughs) I had to spend like an hour with these people and it was fucking God awful. And like I said, I think the original director wanted a right wing bent. And I think the new guy came in and he kind of took some of that out case in point, how they handled the, I guess you call him the caretaker, the guy that's doing all the handiwork, the construction. Oh, yeah, guy. The, 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 the generic Texas stuff. Yeah. He's like the mechanic. He's the only guy in town. He's totally a European's idea of what an American is like. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's the racist because he's from Texas and no redeeming values. He's just racist to be racist because that's how people are down there. Since he's representing the, all of the South and Texas, since he's the only one. <laughs> <laughs> he's, the, he's the local population. He's the local population. As, well, there's, I, 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 I want to compare that not, I'm not a fan of Marcus Nispel's Texas Chainsaw Massacre work. I'm a, I'm a dissenter on that. But it, it had a very West German taste. The Fede Alvarez version that we saw by David Blue Garcia had a West German taste to the proceedings, specifically with the the, uh, the Sally Hardesty um, sheriff woman. It it had a it it, it had a very non domestic feeling, like they were chasing maybe um, Wolf Creek a little. That vibe. Yeah. No, mind you, of course, they were chasing David Gordon Green's Halloween, but they, I think they were they were chasing some sort of outback thing also. I think if it would have stayed with the original director's hands, that character would have been handled completely different. The only redemption he gets is that he goes into the house, but it's like he's the only guy there. And I don't think his character or his morality is redeemed in the eyes of the audience by so, just basically defending himself. See, I thought he was the most sympathetic character in the movie because he was he was um, prejudged by the uh, by the Zoomers at the gas station by the ugly Americans, yeah, yes, the phones and their mm-hmm. shit, yeah. and they assumed they assumed that he was a Southern redneck racist hick who carries a gun to compensate for his small dick, and then they find out he's actually there to be their only help in the town their to, only hope <laughs> to uh, but he get but he's still a racist piece of shit in the movie but he's, he's not still racist he has better values than they do because they only care about about attention and I, don't, I don't i don't recall him being racist um it's it's implied um, he begrudgingly takes down the Confederate flag and then he shoves it in the black kid's face. Huge flag. It's not his flag, though. It's the flag of the orphanage. It doesn't matter if it's his flag or not. He shoves it in his face. Like the black kid didn't do anything to him. It was just he was being an asshole to a black kid to be an asshole. Film was a visual medium. Yeah, he was he was he was showing that yeah, that was. That that one moment in the movie was made to sort of show that that was his the vulnerability about his weaknesses. Like this is this is our uh, you, you 
And you need to like kind of show, I don't mean to sound like I'm some film asshole. You need to, to physically show that like the racist handyman stock character was visibly upset with the influencer's treatment of Leatherface's mom. Because you need to know that like, not only did they do sacrilege, but they did blasphemy. And even the worst guy is going to know that you, you know, you're good for nothing. Yeah, so I, I, I didn't take that as him being racist. I took it as him being tired of the treatment that they had been um, bestowing upon him since they met at the gas station. They were, oh, yeah, the, the they were jerks. They were treating him as, as, a, as a less than, as a servant. You know, that's the, the flag is just there. It's not hurting anybody currently, but it needs to be done right now, and he needs to be the one to do it. I, you know, I think that was more European criticism of American social movements. And so that, that's how I took it. I didn't think it as him being mad that, oh, they're, they're disrespecting the Confederate flag necessarily for racist reasons. It's, you know, they're treating me like a piece of shit because they don't respect me and I'm not going to put up with it. Well, we saw it differently. <laughs> so I think he didn't need to do that at all. He, they could have treated it with um, the Elsie Fisher character. He kind of, they have a little connection and she almost kind of confides in him a little bit. And like, they could have given him his redemption through her, but they, he dies too quickly, basically. And that happens sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not everybody gets redeemed. Uh, the, the two cops, they I forget, do they pull over the kids at the beginning or they just come upon them or whatever? But there was a lot of, racial overtones they don't do anything necessarily racist but they intimidate them for for no reason is to be i guess that's the the scary part of the movie <laughs> it's like they could have just said oh yeah everything's ready for you up in town there but they had Why to it, scare the shit out of them that was just a uh, a different perspective on the on the situation they they thought they were being persecuted and then the cops were actually pulling him over for a different reason. Than yeah, what we're, they supposed dis- we're supposed to distrust the Texas locals and the police. Right. So and, the, and, the, benign. and the kids just jumped to the conclusion that they're being persecuted because they're driving a Tesla and they have a black guy in the car. And, mm-hmm. you know, the girls look non-binary, you know, so they, they immediately think they're being the victims. You know, they're being persecuted. And that's not you know it's it's just jumping to conclusions before they you know get into the interaction and with the uh the scene the bus when he says you know you're you canceled bro i i laughed just like everyone else did you know great i did find that funny but i thought it wasn't a comment or a criticism of the left i thought it was a criticism of just the generation in general yes the young young generation I didn't think it was political. I agree with that. And so I think this new director came in and said, you know, there's a lot of right wing stuff in here. I'm going to kind of erase some of that and make it more, I guess, just an indictment of the young generation, not a left thing. So like, I don't like the stuff you're talking about with the the Tesla and all this stuff, but I didn't really consider it a criticism or a commentary on the left. And I I felt that all the, I guess, quote unquote, the, the, gun mo- the good moments or the fun moments, it felt like it was an accident. It was unintentional. Almost. Well, it seemed the only thing intentional was that 
you're going to get canceled, bro. Cause I don't know how you'd be dumb enough to uh, do that unintentionally, but everything else just kind of seemed like unintentional. I think it's fair to say it's more of a generational and a city versus country rich versus mm-hmm. poor, uh, that type of uh, a commentary versus left versus right. Mm-hmm. Although there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of that in there. There's woke versus, you know, whatever the opposite of woke is. Um, there's some of that. The old lady is racist as well. You know, she talks about, well, you know, I, I raised plenty of people that looked like you, but she's calling a boy and all this stuff and things I mean, that he takes offense to. And she's just old. That's how old yeah. people talk in Texas. <laughs> now who's generalizing that's how old people talk pretty much everywhere in the states yeah (laughs) you know you get to a certain age you know you grew up in a certain era you know that's just how people talk it just seemed to affirm some of the the left's point of view in my mind so i think if it was the original director it would have went all out and committed and i think that construction guy would have gotten more of a a redemption arc the humor was sometimes unintentional and the Sally Hardesty storyline was God awful, served no purpose. Just terrible. Yeah. That may have been just a, a hack job of Halloween from 2018. <laughs> Maybe if they had okay. Marilyn Burns, I don't know. It was okay. <laughs> Too late. I will say uh, the Sally Hardesty character reminded me of a, a lunch lady from my high school. <laughs> And uh, we used to call her Old Lady White. She had all white hair like Sally did, but she used to wear white from head to toe. So we called her Old Old Lady White or Mm -hmm. OLW for short. So I got a little uh, nostalgic for that. Not necessarily from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but from high school lunch period. I will say I did like uh, some of the kills, especially the first one in the uh, van quite a bit. Uh, those were pretty great and even after like i first seen this movie you know i didn't like it but i did say i I would i will be open to watching it again i probably will at some point um there is fun to be had here i just think it's uh, a happy accident (laughs) unintentional fun i like the ending scene it was one of my favorites like the last scene before the credits Mm -hmm. was uh call back to the original a little bit you don't think so yes and no i mean is the time of the dancing or what well like she's in the car and it's driving away and she's screaming and yeah you know oh yeah. it echoes yeah it, it echoes uh, the jordana brewster decapitation from the uh 2003 yeah yeah oh wait no uh, i was thinking jessica beale was oh three Brewster was that, uh, the beginning. Yeah. Is that what that one was? Yeah. yeah and the one from 2017 is called Leatherface. But yeah. It was like during the, like, as I was watching, I'm thinking, is, are they really doing this? Is this like a, are they rejecting the left and their point of view and everything that they stand for in this? And then it was kind of like, yeah, a little bit, but not all the way. Yeah. I think a lot of stuff depends on which way your point of view is when you watch it because like that's just how how stuff is in general like two people can look at the same thing and and one will say well this person's wrong 
because they're an asshole and the other person say well this person's wrong because they're racist yeah it's you know? a class asshole for me it comes down to I, I don't think anything can be high art that was this messy behind the scenes with production with a director changing stuff two weeks before it but then again it could be a wonderful accident the best one ever for a horror film yeah but i digress i will give it a last resort that's a last resort see it's not never but like i said i know there's gonna be plenty of people out there that'll love this movie i figured brett would like it a lot and i do mm-hmm. it's great had a fun time didn't you <laughs> did it was any of it uh, like scary to you at all or no no um so well I'd say probably the scariest elements were when it was uh, Leatherface going up against the two sisters, like after he gets his chainsaw. Like some of that sequence was mm-hmm. was probably the more serious, scary part of it. Um, but even then, it's like, you know, kind of standard horror slasher stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did some cool stuff with that, too. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it as well like texas chainsaw 2 there's a lot of fun stuff in there i mean obviously i don't love it as much as the original but i love that sequel even though it's you know it's, <laughs> the style is much different from the original there's a lot of fun in it and the grand guignol and a lot of blood and gore but there are still those scary scenes at least for me especially in the radio station the bill mosley scenes very mm-hmm. creepy when he keeps on picking at his that scab he has on his head and Leatherface comes running out of the record room and there's some pretty scary stuff in there but I did like when he had uh, when when she was in the crawl space and he was uh, chainsawing the floor Uh, I mean that was that was kind of kind of scary too uh, up until the point where he he clips the uh, sewer pipe and it just dumps a bunch Mm -hmm. of shit on her (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then it got funny yeah, then leather leatherface has also turned into a supernatural character in here, which I don't know. A little bit. He uh he survives some stuff that he probably shouldn't have. He is he's vulnerability because he's he's serious. He just mm-hmm. holds his breath really well. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's get on to the movie challenge. We were challenged by Stu to watch Raising Kane. Came out in 1992 directed by brian de palma starring john lithgow lolita davidovich stephen bauer francis sternhagen greg henry tom bauer mel harris Uh, anyone else of note what did i see synopsis The oncologist's wife of a prominent child psychologist suspects her husband has an unhealthy scientific obsession with their child, unaware of what or who is really going on inside his head. All right, let's start with uh, Zolly. You said you were uh, Bill Verster, Razy Kane. You've seen it before. Yes. Seen both cuts. Seen it multiple times. Big fan of the Palma. Full disclosure about the director's cut. The director's cut is a Fans restoration isn't exactly Brian De Palma's authoritative directorial cut. It is something not director that, approved. Uh, yeah, well, director approved after the fact, but sort of like how Richard Schickel would recut stuff or 
or you know, the big red one, but not approved. This would be this is if Brian De Palma had his way in 1982. Supposedly, based on the original script, the movie would be like this. But because it wasn't like that, it doesn't really exist. Even though the Shout Factory and Arrow video versions of Raising Cain include the director's cut. The theatrical cut is, is the movie that we have all seen and we're probably all discussing. Um, the director's cut changes the sequence of events. It, it, makes, it makes the movie unworkable. It makes discussion of the plot point, actually. The whole, the whole uh, John Lithgow as the protagonist slash victim of his own you know, evil alternate personalities totally fades away and it just becomes about Stephen Bauer and his, his affair. And I mean, it, and it, it's, it, it's, it, there, there were rumors that De Palma only approved this version of the movie because he was declining in the senility. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, it's like the, the, the re, it's like the 2011 Ghost in the Shell recut. It's, it's something that should be forgotten. It's defacement. It is defacement of a movie. I'm a big fan of the theatrical cut. I would give it an eight out of ten. Um, it is. It, it takes everything from dress to kill. Takes it further, better, not better, further. It's funnier. <laughs> um, and it's you know it's a bona fide horror movie. It has no pretenses about you know being smart or that smart. It's it's. It's all about jump scares and mirror gags. Hey, Wolfie, uh, what about you? I liked it. I thought uh, John Lithgow's performance was fantastic. You could tell he really enjoyed his roles in this movie because he, he plays multiple roles, um, kind of. Well, he does, but uh, <laughs> you could tell he really, really enjoyed it. And uh, it's it's uh it really makes it uh worth seeing just for that i think knowing because i i had seen somewhere i'd seen the synopsis that it was a multiple personality thing i feel like if you don't know that going in that uh somewhere towards the middle or the end that's a big reveal that's supposed to be like a big shocking moment because you're you're supposed to think that they're twins when in Mm -hmm. actuality they're one and the same person they're just different personalities um so i don't think that had as much of an impact however uh overall it was really good i don't know if i would say i like it as as much as some of the other de palma movies we've covered on the podcast but it's definitely worth seeing i i watched the uh the theatrical cut um as ollie mentioned i will give it a wtm eventually eventually I also watched the theatrical cut. A lot to enjoy in here. We just did a, well, we did what, three De Palma movies last uh, last fall? Or did we do a fourth one? I forget. We did at least three. Oh, there, it was kind of a <laughs> De Palma horror extravaganza last fall. Yeah, we did Blowout, Dress to Kill, and uh, Body Double. Yes. And uh, like Zali said, yeah, similar to Dress to Kill. <laughs> In some ways more than others. Uh, <laughs> um, also, John Lethgal from uh, Blowout. 
I thought he was a little better in blowout, but you know, this is a much harder role since he's playing multiple roles and more screen time. I just think he's a little more sinister in a blowout, but uh, yeah, it is pretty fun to watch him chew up the scenery. So uh, Carter is the main Lithgow character. Yes. He's and the, uh, his, the sympathetic protagonist. Mm-hmm. And his brother is uh, his quote unquote brother. Yeah. What, what's um, his name again? It was, um, God, I can't remember this. Well, you're looking it up. I was just, I, th- I found it interesting that they shot every scene with his brother or every shot was askew. Is that an angle? Well, it was Kane was his brother, wasn't it? <laughs> Kane. <laughs> That's a dead dog. (laughs) Everyone's yelling into their into their phones. Uh, Yeah, Kane. Every time Kane's on screen, like is they shot him like a skew, basically, almost with like a filter sometimes. But I like how he's like um, a fifties greaser too. (laughs) He's always smoking. He's got his leather jacket on. Yeah, usually with the sunglasses on, unless he's trying to portray Carter. It's just like too cool for school. Mm Hmm. It's nice to see Stephen Bauer. You know, I always enjoy seeing him and things other than Scarface when he pops up. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good cast, good performances. But like towards the end of this movie, I'm kind of thinking like, yeah, I enjoy it. But it is definitely, I think, one of De Palma's lesser works. And I was trying to decide when De Palma kind of really fell off. Because uh, behind Zolly is the poster for Mission Impossible. And uh, I enjoy that one quite a bit. I haven't watched it in a while, but I do remember really liking it. Uh, watched it a lot as a kid, of course. But because um, Snake Eyes was right after that. And Snake Eyes, well, I think I enjoyed it as a kid, is not a good movie at all. I never saw Mission to Mars. I remember I saw The Black Dahlia once. Forgettable. Didn't like it. Uh, I saw Femme Fatale once. Forgettable. And let's see, what did he do right between this? Is there anything between this? Oh, yeah, he did Carlito's Way in 93. Yeah. And I do like that one quite a bit, but it seems like that one's just kind of like a, a lesser Scarface, you know. But, yeah, I think it was right there. Mission Impossible might be his last good film. What do you think, Zolly? I like Mission to Mars a lot. I do. But, um, it's a suppressed movie, and people can't see it. It's not on Disney+. Plus. It's not on Blu-ray. In a minute. It's on Blu-ray in France with horrible French subtitles forced into the image. So really? Yeah. France isn't the only countries that do that. Okay. They have some reason. They, there's, they don't want uh, other people to import stuff from their protected territory. Um, no, yeah, after um, Mission to Mars, then you have um, uh, Passion and um, it's not, not serious. It's a remake of Love Crime. It's it's I think it's a, it's supposed to be funny. Like it's supposed to be funny if you have seen every like erotic drama or erotic thriller. Okay. Like an Adrian Lynn film or something or uh it, it, or, it, imagine Femme Fatale. Body heat. Imagine a stupider Femme Fatale, but no time travel. Femme Fatale has time travel. Oh well, I don't even remember that. <laughs> well, I think Femme, we think Femme Fatale has time travel. We could, you know, could could all be a dream. <laughs> I've never, I've never seen it. I haven't seen any of the Palma's work after Snake Eyes. That was the most recent one I've seen of his. 
So you have Mission to Mars on DVD then, Zali? No, no, no DVDs. Okay. Uh, just, you know, seen it. Is so. the DVD easily accessible or is it charged an arm and a leg online? The DVD is non animorphic is, is inaccessible and non anamorphic. So, okay. Uh, yeah. Fun. So they, what, they stretch it to 16 by 9? Uh, you have to do stretching yourself. If, yeah, you have to hit the zoom. Oh, really? Four by, yeah. Yeah, it's weird how that movie's unloved. Probably because of the religious undertones, but um, but it's not. Um, it it was it was played by the fact that the Red Planet and all these other Mars movies were coming out at the same time. Yep, let's well, pique my interest a little bit because I feel like I've seen the best of De Palma. Although I bought Sisters, uh, Criterion Sisters, uh, pretty recently. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm excited for that. The Fury is another one I need to see. Fury is, is a very big impact on the Disney Star Wars trilogy. And uh, Phantom of the Paradise is another one I'm excited to see. But haven't seen Phantom of the Paradise? No. That's another Star Wars link up for you. Yeah. There's a lot of De Palma in Star Wars, a lot of De Palma in Star and a lot of Star Wars in De Palma. Mm. And that's something you can't really escape. More, can't be more so than the Hitchcock. Yeah. Well, De Palma does Hitchcock better. I mean, I, I, I don't mean to flex here, but Hitchcock, with the exception of like Psycho, is nothing. With the exception of Psycho and North by Northwest, you have just an average British director. And most of his work, his canon, is forgotten because it's no longer applicable or relevant to anything. Only Psycho lasts. Everything else is like a filmed play. Well, don't tell that to the sight on sound team. They always bring up Vertigo every other year. <laughs> Vertigo is, is just the everything in Vertigo is done better by the Palma. Because in the I don't I don't mean to sound like another rogue uh film scholar out there, but um the late 50s were a primitive time. The Hayes Code was in effect. Mm-hmm. Hitchcock really couldn't get in get in touch and in deep with his perversions on screen the way he wanted to. And uh Robert Block and and the rest, they helped him do that. Psycho is his only fully realized work. That's why they made so many sequels and remakes of it. I mean, Steve Miner's TV sequel, The Birds, but nobody's seen it in 35 years. So it doesn't mm. exist. Steve Miner may actually be a more impressive filmmaker historically than Alfred Hitchcock. Well, Brett and I are big fans of uh, Friday the 13th Part 6, which I believe is Miner. That's not, but it's close enough. It's so not minor. Three is not, no, no. Minor is two and three. Six is uh, Tom. It's either uh, the one, um, the one effects guy. I forgot his fucking name. Holy shit! You know, uh, who did Jason lives? They know his face. I'm trying to mo- rob. He didn't rob. He no. That's Tom McLaughlin. Tom McLaughlin. I was gonna say Billy Jack, but is he wrong? Yes, okay. it's, it's, yes, that's correct. Well, we are fans of two and three as well. We've done three on here. Yeah, two and three is also, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, De Palma is a better. De Palma takes Hitchcock and, and does it right. Yeah, uh, I was a fan of House when I saw it for minor, and I'm a big fan of Night of the Creeps and Halloween H2O. Halloween H2 is the gold standard for Halloween remakes. I would agree. Although I did like David Gordon Green's 2018 one. I That's tough. I probably... I probably like H2O better than Gordon Green's. And then I didn't care for Halloween Kills, but. I mean, there's only a Halloween franchise to this day because of Steve Miner's Halloween H2O. 
That was the yeah. highest profile sequel they ever that it created the whole the whole cult of Octavia. All right. Well, I suppose uh we should get back on track. I'll give my I think I gave my rating uh eventually for raising Kane. Um I liked it. It just uh lacks some of the it it, it was a very similar style, it was very De Palma, but felt it lacking in some areas. I'll get into it later, but when we get into spoilers, but yeah, I'll say eventually and uh now it's Brett's turn to challenge me to watch a movie in the movie challenge. This is a challenge. And what's it going to be, Brett? I believe I will challenge you to the movie Savages, which is a uh, more recent. Um, what's his face? The director, <laughs> Oliver Stone. Oliver, Oliver Stone. It's a more recent Oliver Stone movie. Which is a bit dated because it's about the illegal marijuana trade in California. But uh... <laughs> hey, it's still there, even though it's not illegal anymore. There's still illegal growing operations. Even at the time, it was. Uh... Although they do kind of cover that in the movie that it's it's being legalized. It's like in the process of being legalized. Well, growing up, Oliver Stone was my uh, favorite director. Up until uh, I saw Alexander in the theater, and I was kind of left thinking like why wasn't that better <laughs> and then after that you know he did w and he just kind of fell off for me anyways but for most of the u.s movie going audience as well but i've heard some good things about savages so i'm excited yeah, i think savages kind of gets a bum rap from some people um but i saw it in the theater i really like really liked it recently bought the blu-ray watched the uh extended cut and uh it's still great. All right. Well, before we get into some spoilers for Raising Kane, let's uh, wrap up the show a little bit. Um, Zolly, let's hear your plugs here. Go to see the good collectibles for all your uh, comic book, toy, <clears throat> toy magic card, Yu-Gi-Oh card, uh, Pokemon card needs. Elias Cotius masks. Yes. Signed. 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 Signed, verifiably signed. <laughs> and uh, you know, regardless of what that Joker in uh, Ohio claims, is that where he's from? Saying that it was a bogus Elias Cotius signature. Uh, I don't Ohio, Iowa, um, I don't know where, but um, I we stand behind all our Elias Cotius signed Ninja Turtles paraphernalia, <laughs> um, and I resent the accusation. <laughs> As well, you should. Do you do you sell those uh, like eighteen inch tall Ninja Turtles uh, Nika action figures? We uh, we we sold them. We're out at the moment. They're all out. Those are the a, finest Ninja Turtles in creation. Yeah, I was I was at a different store last week, and they had a, a few of those, and they had a Foot Soldier one that I, I was gonna get, and I turned it over, and it was uh, one hundred fifty four ninety nine. I thought that was. Uh, a little out of my price range, but uh, is, is that what you were selling them for? We sell our 18 inch NECA figures for whatever they usually are at other diamond, you know, distributing places because they're not, um, they're only valuable when they're new. Right. So, I mean, they, they cost 120 to $200. And I assume that they're negotiable always. But I mean, we don't have any right now. The only 18 inches we have are like, you know, Predators, 
Michael Myers. NECA used to make much more 18-inch scale electronic stuff for like uh, head shops and bong stores, but now they, they don't. They, they stop like that. Hmm. Just make uh, fake Mega Bob Ross toys. Yeah, I, I think they had uh, this particular store, they had, uh, they had a foot soldier and maybe one or two of the turtles from the, the, the 1990 movie. And then they had like a cartoon Michelangelo and then they had a few uh, Penguin and Catwoman from Batman Returns, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of my price range. If they were if they were closer, like seventy five, eighty bucks. I, I probably would have pulled the trigger, but uh, one fifty is a little too uh, pricey for me. What what's your wrestling stock look like? You got any wrestling stuff down there? Uh, it's paltry. I mean, we have loose stuff, but um, whenever people want wrestling stuff, we don't have enough for them. Okay. Because it's people need they they need more loose and more carded. They need a Star Wars level amount. We only have we only can really afford to go full Star Wars for Star Wars. We can't. Right. Uh, that makes sense. Otherwise, you'd be a wrestling store, and people would just want to you know discuss electoral politics and stuff. <laughs> Too much. Oh, interesting. All right. Well, I got to ask you, Zolly. Apropos of today's main topic see i got the 89 uh batmobile here whoa kenner the good one from the Dark yep, kenner Party. 1990 here says on the bottom the everything one. still works on it how much yeah. is this going for i don't know 30 bucks at the store yeah. we'd give you nothing for it we'd say <laughs> yeah. um the best one though i don't know if you know this is the one that uh the, the, the missile, the bat missile shoots out. It's from Batman Returns. It's the most advanced Batmobile. This one um, shoots out. No, I mean the whole uh, center cockpit. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Batman Returns. Yep. Still, uh, I know. I'm more curious about this. I have the Batman Returns 3D board game. Whoa. You can see that right here from Parker Brothers. Yep. Look how much fun these kids are having. A lot of fun. <laughs> I bet. It's a vintage fun for the whole family. But yeah, I've I don't think I've ever played a 3D board game until this or after, really. Uh, I mean, I guess some 3D ones, but not multi-leveled, I guess. Yeah, me neither. Is that like mousetrap where you build it up as you, you land on spaces? No, like the city's just there, but um as you construct the city. And like the bottom level is the sewer, of course, where the penguin hangs out, whatnot, and Catwoman hangs out on the top of the city. But like you roll the dice, and if you, I think if you land on like the penguin or like mini penguins or the henchmen, then it's almost like you got a battle. There's a battle battle die as well that you roll. But yeah, board games, board, vintage board games are amazing. The only mm-hmm. Batman stuff I had from then was, you know, the Twilight from Animal Returns, which was kind of paltry because the Penguin was just a reprint of the Superpowers Penguin and not actually Danny DeVito. I had one of them nice. uh, electronic handheld Batman Returns games. <laughs> yeah. I had one of those, yeah. <laughs> you, had to, you had to fight the, uh, the Penguin's uh, motorcycle gang. <laughs> yeah. And then I think they had the uh, the little penguins with the missiles on them. Mm-hmm. Those were the days. They don't make them like that anymore. No. 
Let's take so how much for the 3D board game? <laughs> I don't know. Can I give you like four dollars? Then like we'd look it up, and if it's more than four dollars, we'd we'd win at capitalism. But the <laughs> problem is, someone else has to like there has to be a demand for the board game. Yeah. So like, and board games are not like popular. Yeah. Now I'm not looking to sell them. I was just curious. No, I know. I did, well, the, the, there's three ways to determine value. Um, but the best way is to, you know, check on eBay and see what people actually pay in reality. Because you can't, you can't, um, you can't confiscate someone else's wealth for your garbage and be like, you know, I want this much money for my, for my bat cave. And you can't. Mm-hmm. As uh, Steve said, uh, you don't want to be the last person holding the Beanie Babies, right? Well, I mean, we actually do not take Beanie Babies for that yeah. reason. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not even it's not even a possibility. We have no we demand have anymore. Unilateral, yeah. We have unilaterally shut, shut the door on all Beanie Babies. <laughs> Regardless of value, it could be a valuable Beanie Baby, and we would say no to it on principle. Yeah. Because, because if we if we had one valuable Beanie Baby. Where would we get out that we did and it would not be cost effective? Yeah. Well, they must all be valuable now that they're not being made. I mean, you'd think, but they aren't, <laughs> they aren't making, uh, yeah, you'd hope. But in, in reality, all that tie shit should just be set on fire. Mm-hmm. I, never got, I never got into that stuff. Like, I knew people who were buying a bunch of them. I'm like, why? I don't yeah, get it. It was a long time. Stuffed animals are a, a really specific cell. My mom and I had some. Had the princess die, you know, like everyone else. Yep, the princess die is worth zero. Mm-hmm. Zero. Sorry. Even though it's supposed to be a keepsake, it's going to be even more valuable in 20 plus years. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, just to wrap up a little bit here. Before we get into spoilers, uh, you can reach out to us at WTM. You can email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. Check out our website at WTMwatchthismovie.com. You can follow us on Twitter at watchthis underscore movie or Brett at positivelywolf1. Zolly, you want to pump your uh, Twitter handle? Uh, my Just find me. My name is Zolly Becker. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. I change my usernames a lot because I am uh, good band. But I'm I'm there. I'm always around, and I'm somewhat active. I might even DM you back or not. I may ignore you. <laughs> uh, please rate and review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. So, uh, raising Kane, yeah, I thought it was funny. It was a like you said, Zolly, dressed to kill, kind of ends much the same way with. Uh, John Lithgow and drag. Yeah. As Margot, I would assume. Yes, as the, the good sister, yeah. the nice sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't know if, if she's really there or not. We just don't know. Yeah, I mean, what would the spoilers be for Raising Kane? That he has a split personality. Yeah, he's a split personality. And, uh, you know, he may, he, he gets away at the end, I guess, right? I mean, yeah, pretty much. Uh, is that bad? Was I not supposed to say that? No, no, this is the this is the time yeah. to say it. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, that's what happens. And it, it ends with a stinger cue, just like Dress to Kill. Mm-hmm. You know. Although that one is a dream, though. Yeah, but maybe the Margo thing is a dream, too. It's like, 
It's possible. Mm-hmm. Like she's afraid the kid will have his disease when mm-hmm. he's mental. Yeah. Because like she's raising Kane herself, right? It's like mm-hmm. a, like a, that's why it's great <laughs> art. It's like oh. what if I raised the Kane? Some of the set pieces were kind of fun, especially at the end with the, the sundial that the guys are transporting around that truck with Stephen Powers running <laughs> towards it. But then it gets like shot off with the John Lithgow shoots down as he's falling. It was kind of weird that he shot off like the top of a sundial with a gun haphazardly, I guess. But I was actually surprised that the dad was an actual different person. Yeah. You think it's just the master person? I think that that was a bigger swerve than uh, the two brothers being one person was that the dad was not another one of the personalities. I haven't read this anywhere because I'm lazy, but I believe, or rather I hope that like Max von Sydow was supposed to be the evil scientist father. Mm. But like he said, no. Because Mm. like, it kind of breaks verisimilitude because John Lithgow was like a hammy over actor. Yeah. And you don't really take him seriously as the father of himself. He kind of plays that role on Shutter Island. Yeah, Shutter, Shutter Island doesn't matter. I mean, not. And I know it's a a modern movie, and that's not a class, and that's not mm-hmm. worthy of a discussion at such a high level. But um, <laughs> it, it does the reveal better. I mean, you, you think that the the doctor character is like Margot because it looks like. It looks like John Lithgow in like a funny costume, not like a serious costume. Right. Like a visibly like look, draw attention to the costume costume. And it's that's I mean, diploma is like a weird sense of humor. So all that uh yeah. And that vibe may not be unearned or unintended. And he's he's not in the same frame as the kids or as the two sons. Yeah, he's always outward out. It's always, yeah, it's always so. an option. So it's like, I don't know, is he really real or is he right. in our head? So I, I thought that was that was more of a shocking reveal that the, the father was actually a different person. Uh, like I figured he had actually died years ago and that he was just manifesting him, you know? Yeah. Every time I watch the movie, I'm surprised by that. Because it seems like such a such a turn. It actually wasn't as, as surprising for me. Um not sure why. I mean, like you said, Brett, it kind of helps going into this, knowing that it's a split personality and you kind of expect that it's not his real brother. You know, it's another personality. And I was kind of thrown off a little bit, kind of, you know, when he first appears, Kane, uh, in the car after Carter's killed the woman, well, chloroformed her, I should say. And, uh, he says, well, why don't you go with me to drop me off at the house? I need to change. So it's like, he needs to drive him somewhere and we can't just like appear out of thin air like a care or like a split personality would, Mm -hmm. but we get the evidence for the father. There's the the report that, you know, he died 20 years ago, but uh, what they say his body was never found or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So that was like red flag number two, because I think the first red flag was uh, when Carter gets a phone call. No, sorry. Kane gets a phone call from the father, you know, telling him to go away and let Carter handle things from now on. So I'm like, okay, I know he's imagining everything, but is he imagining the phone ringing and then going to pick it up and having this conversation? Right. So it kind of felt to me like he doesn't do that with any other, he doesn't do it with Kane and Carter or Margo or anything like that. So I thought, well, maybe this is different. Maybe that's actually a phone call. 
So maybe he actually has a dad, you know, he's just hiding out, faked his well, death 20 years ago. And the dad drugs him in the, uh, the hotel room. So I guess that, you know, it seemed like he may, he could have been drugging himself, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't, at first, um, <laughs> there is like a third act inception level dream within a dream within a dream here with the, uh, the affair in the park because uh, Carter's wife wakes up like three, four times, <laughs> like in this, in this <laughs> one dream. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh it was a dream oh that was a dream oh this is not a dream because then carter finally kills her in uh real life or she's a cane after like the third or fourth time she wakes up and after the uh the present that she had in her drawer changes from uh jack to carter again and then maybe mm-hmm. back i'm not sure but <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't really know what's a dream or what's not in here so they did I thought he did play well that way, I guess, to keep you guessing. Yeah, like some of the other films I just thought had more iconic moments and scenes. Like Body Double, I I love all of it, but I think you should love Body Double just for the Frankie Goes to Hollywood sequence alone. It's just fantastic. Something that sets it apart from everything else, I guess. And this one is just kind of like De Palma style. It's a De Palma movie. But it didn't really have like a, a trademark, I guess, to put itself above all of his other works, I guess, his thriller works. I think Lithgow hamming it up kind of takes it down a notch as far as like being a serious <laughs> De Palma movie, too. Yeah, yeah I thought it me. But um, like he's he's the most entertaining actor in the movie, I think. Everybody else is kind of. I mean they're okay but they're not necessarily like putting on the best performances either they're not necessarily the best actors whereas i i think you got a better cast maybe in some of those other de palma movies just you know top to bottom yeah and like in body double there's plenty of cheesy performances you know the the craig wasson is the main character yeah i'm not certain <laughs> i don't think he's uh that great in the film but i think he fits the part pretty well yes every man yeah um greg henry it was fun to see him in this uh from body double uh, <laughs> playing a couple of roles in body double basically to appearing here although he's not in here all that much maybe is the uh is the director's cut uh, much longer do you remember uh zolly no, it's the same it's just different order of events oh really it's the same footage there's no extra there's footage nothing in it. It's uh, it's non-sequential, I think, to, to be like Memento. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's another that's another hint to why the director's cut may not be totally above board. <laughs> what else? Any other thoughts, guys? Anything else you want to talk about with Raising Kane? I did like the scene of the. Uh when they're in the police station and they follow them all the way down from the, the office down to the basement. It's like a 10 minute scene of them just walking around and with the, with the old doctor, the psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, <dude>. <laughs> <laughs> you stopping her this way. No, this way. Yeah. She keeps trying to go the wrong direction and they got to redirect her. And then like, they just follow her though, you know, the, her and the, the cops the, the entire way. And it's like, 
it's such like a throwaway scene but like it's kind of impressive that they just like we're just gonna do a long take of them walking down to the basement just because it's gonna be fun yeah i was wondering when i was gonna get like a trademark the palma you know tracking shot and then you finally get it with that scene and <laughs> like you were saying Sally, with the there, there's a he's got quite the sense of humor as you were saying also brett it's kind of a throwaway scene but as that's uh, those jokes are happening like no this way i was like why, why is he really put this in there just like a quick gag i guess to <laughs> lighten the mood i guess i guess there is some exposition there's exposition in there but yeah uh, like there's so many other ways that they could have gone about it but like it's such an interesting uh, thing that they're just like we're just gonna do a long tracking shot and we're just gonna follow these people you know uh, from you know the second floor or the third floor down to the basement and they're gonna it's get like lost he was, along the way and it's like he was spoofing like an Aaron Sorkin walk and talk you know <laughs> it's like, just like some one one character is always going the wrong direction just to throw a wrench into it right break up the shot cause tension in the image <laughs> all right well anything else fellas I think we'll call it a day I think there's some good, some good kinographic discourse. There you go. Kinographic. Kino, you know, that's, that's a term that, you know, I didn't really realize that people are using to describe quality of films because I thought people were just discussing Kino Lorber, you know, the, the brand. Cause I was on the MMC discord where we it was the whip out your junk, you know, I was just posting pictures of stuff I bought recently and, we love Kino Lowry. Kino Lowry, I mean, mm-hmm. Frank Tarzi is a great man. <laughs> He's a great man. Uh, I bought the Lonesome Dove. Uh, it was a Mill Creek Blu-ray for really cheap. I hate Mill Creek. <laughs> I want it to be known. It's a local company. You got to support them. I hate Mill Creek. They're local. I hate them. <laughs> the people at Mill Creek do terrible work. <laughs> they released the 13th, the Friday 13th fan film, which is against the law. <laughs> They're scum. They're on notice. Which one is that film? The, the fan film? 13 fan film. Yeah, some theft. If you make fan films that I do not approve of, you're a criminal. What's it called? The 13 fanboy. I don't know. Imagine <laughs> making... There's another one called Never Hike Alone where people like, you know, give Tom Matthews money to like, you know, to like to redo their garage or some shit. I have no idea. But the fact that Mill Creek actually paid money to have physical copies replicated of a, of a Friday 13th fan film. I mean, you know, they're asking for Paramount to do legal stuff to them. <laughs> they're usually lacking in uh, oh. their special features, but... Well, if- I'm going to explain why I hate Mill Creek. Very concise. And it's very professional. Mill Creek has access to the Sony library, Yep, but they try about as hard as Echo Bridge did in 2011. Um, they have an A team and a B team. The A team is very good, as in they just drag and drop universally encoded stuff from the universal library and make exact duplicates of it. If I could say a nice, positive, motivating thing to our, our friends in Golden, Golden Valley, there is potential for them to become a boutique label, mm-hmm. but only if they try as hard as they did on 
Josie and the Pussycats with every single title. Because Josie and the Pussycats was a Kino Lorber level release of a universal asset. And all I ask is that Mill Creek not do a worse job than Universal, Warner Brothers, Kino Lorber, Twilight Time. Because that's who they compete with. Yeah, they definitely seem like they're... uh... The worst? (laughs) (laughs) That that there's definitely some missed opportunities there. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't see how anyone at Mill Creek can be like proud of what they've done. Like they've lowered physical media to a throwaway thing. I, I think they should be ashamed. I enjoyed my hard, uh, hard ticket to Hawaii Blu-ray because it looked pretty good, but there's a lack of special features with pretty much well, all I mean, their work. Those Andy Sedaris movies would be so much better served in a more expensive package from a professional company. Yeah. Not to suggest that Mill Creek is unprofessional, but they are. <laughs> um, I also got a 40th anniversary TGIF Blu-ray the other day. Uh, I haven't watched it yet, but there's really no special features on there, but it's on Blu-ray. So it's like they're putting some stuff out there, but yeah, they kind of half-ass everything. I guess that goes with the uh, the budget territory, I guess, because everything's on a budget no, there. No, no, not at all. They have the budget. It's laziness. And- no, I meant like the the for the consumer, everything's so cheap, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. That, 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 Blu-ray on a budget. Well, that, that Mill Creek and Echo Bridge sort of are responsible for that mindset, that straight to Menards pipeline. And it's, it's a damaging thing. I would actually say that Mill Creek is more destructive to commercial art than piracy is. Because pirates at least try. <laughs> People at Mill Creek, they don't. Yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, getting a job there and uh, telling them what to decide to pick up next from the Sony library. You know, they, I'd like to say they, they couldn't afford someone like us. You know, Someone who's plugged into the, the hearts and minds of film collectors, physical media collectors. One of those guys who thinks he knows everything there is to know about movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, companies like Mill Creek just lower the temperature of everyone and everything in the world. But uh, yeah, I was, I was saying like I got the Mill Creek Blu-ray for Lonesome Dove, four or $5 at, at Menards. <laughs> the right price. Oh, the right price. And uh, I posted on there and uh, somebody on there, one of the MMC fans said, oh, that Lonesome Dove Blu-ray, that's, that's Kino. I go, no, it's Mill Creek. And I sh- showed a picture of the spine. I was like, see, Mill Creek. Because no, it's key. Well, like that it's is the good. question. <laughs> is will you? There are some. Well, that is the question. Do you so someone hate Mill Creek enough that they re- swap out Mill Creek versions for Kino Lorber versions of you know Touchstone titles? I don't know. Should I? Should I do that? Like as a demonstration of my hatred? Maybe the disc. Like, I, I mean, this, this Lonesome Dove Blu-ray was a steel book with a slipcover. <laughs> For five bucks. I mean, it's this. Though I'm sure it's the same as the Sony version. I'm sure it's the same as the Sony because there's Sony like the version swap is the same. Mm-hmm. Just because it's the same doesn't mean that they didn't fuck it up. Though. Yeah. Because you know when Mill Creek licenses something, 
that means a real company can't release it. That's why they're worse than pirates. Yeah. Because if, if like Arrow got Josie and the Pussycats, it could have been remastered. It could have been in 4K. It could have had some scholarly archival value-added materials. But beggars can't be choosers. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to derail the whole thing. It was I am definitely... No, it's right. I am definitely a beggar. He <laughs> just did it. I can't help. I can't help but not bash <laughs> on on the Golden Valley outfit. Whenever it's all right, you're preaching to the choir a little bit. I just uh, you need it. I just don't want to you condemn them as much. I want them to stay in business and hopefully improve. I, I want, want I want to force them out of it. I want to force them into the poorhouse. <laughs> and I want to. I don't want to. I want to have a space. I want to warm my hands by space here. <laughs> I think of the don't let don't let Eric there. lie to you. He's always bragging about buying Mill Creek DVDs at the. At well, the I mean, I've, I've I have a lot of Mill Creek shit. I mean, I have more Mill Creek shit than most people. That's only a result of you know my my compulsive buying shit. Mm-hmm. But like the like the Shield, their Blu-ray version of the Shield is censored. What? Censored? Oh my god! Yeah. It's like like a fucking Walmart. Yeah, when Acevedo is forced to suck that guy's dick, it's a different angle. <laughs> they censored the shield now that's not mill creek's fault that's sony's fault because like the <laughs> the european versions of the shield are the widescreen ones and they use the but if mill creek was a real company they would have compared every episode of the shield and known so michael chiklis looks that much more stocky yeah widened widened <laughs> all right well it's been a pleasure zolly thank you so much for coming on the show yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Sorry for uh, derailing no. everything I'm talking about. I hate Mill Creek in Golden Valley. Hey, it's all great. So, thanks for keeping it local, though. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Act locally, think globally. That's what I do. We uh, hope to have you on again uh, sometime in the near future. All right. We will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right. Check you later. Bye. Bye. Try and speak up, but you're, you're sounding pretty good right now, so don't worry about it too much. Using my broadcasting voice. There you go. Yes. Project. Project like RIP William Hurt and Broadcast News. You got to project. Yeah. Alas, alas, poor Red Hulk. I didn't even hear about those allegations until today. From 2010, from Marley Matlin. Isn't she deaf and dumb? Yeah. <laughs> they Pretty dated bad. They dated for two years in the late 80s. He was like brutal? <laughs> yeah, apparently he uh, beat her up on the regular and raped That's her one bad. night, in fact. That's bad. That's bad. That's and there was good. another woman who kind of corroborated her story. I forget her name. That's another very, girlfriend of his. It's very like negative. That's really bad. It's like Sean Young level bad here. <laughs> um, I did not hear that. Yeah. Was William Hurt also mysteriously dead, like Bob Saget, or do they just think it was a standard healthy 70-year-old dies for no reason? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> I didn't I didn't actually read much of the story. I just I saw 71 and I go, well. I guess that makes sense. It's it's not quite old enough to be cold, I don't think. You know, yeah. you still got some, you still got 15, 20 years of living left in you. Mm-hmm. And 70. Anyway, I don't want to mm-hmm. sidetrack. No, no worries. We'll have plenty of those today. <laughs>